This is Hard Reset, a production of BigIfTrue.org. I'm JC Cortez here in Vancouver. And I'm Molly Bryant. I'm in Oklahoma City. I'm Justin Sanders in Houston, Texas. Today on the show, we're talking with Will Bedwell, who's an attorney at the Mississippi Center for Justice, about the CDC's eviction moratorium uh, and kind of how it's really playing out in people's lives and how important uh, housing law has been during the pandemic continues to be. So let's go now with that interview with Will here on Hard Reset. Can you kind of, Will, just first, for people who might not be familiar with your organization, just explain what the Mississippi Center for Justice does and about y'all's housing law program, like what y'all's work is about? The Mississippi Center for Justice is a nonprofit public interest law firm, and our mission is to advance racial and economic justice for all Mississippians. We were founded in 2003 by a group of civil rights attorneys that were involved with the civil rights movement. They recognized that the struggle for civil rights is not over, especially in Mississippi, and that an organization like ours was needed. We fight systemic injustice through a broad variety of campaigns and ways. So we litigate, we defend, but we also advocate for policy and we target litigation to have a systemic impact on bad policy in Mississippi. We work in housing. We work in consumer protection, health care access. We've worked on voting rights. We work on immigration. We work on education. So we try, we're trying to holistically change Mississippi. I work in our housing law campaign in our Biloxi office. We also have offices in Jackson and in Indianola in the Mississippi Delta. The housing campaign in my work focuses on Fair Housing Act, private enforcement. We also work on affordable housing and blight elimination. And since the pandemic began, we said, okay, we got to take on eviction defense during the pandemic. Yeah. And that was one of the main things we wanted to talk to you about. So for about a year, y'all have had an eviction hotline. So what kind of led to you guys putting that hotline into place? And, you know, what has been the level of need for help with evictions? Yes. So across the country, really, when the pandemic just began, by the end of March, almost all states were putting in some form of eviction moratorium. Mississippi, Um, did as well. And what we found very quickly were landlords trying to get around the eviction moratorium. So then that was a blanket moratorium. No landlords could go to court and get an eviction. So we found landlords were attempting to constructively evict people by locking them out or terminating utilities. So we very quickly engaged in some litigation against landlords that had terminated utility service that got some coverage and very quickly we realized everyone was about to turn to us to deal with the eviction moratoriums understand the eviction moratoriums we've been running for a few years now a statewide fair housing hotline for people who believe they're discriminated against in housing to call so we said hey we know how to run a hotline we're going to set one up for this and that's what we've been doing at first it was easy and targeted um, because we did have these very blanket moratoriums. Of course, that has continued to 
change. The moratoriums have ended, began, been extended. They have different requirements now. So a lot of what we do with that hotline is information, counsel, and advice explaining to a renter, yes or no, you fall under this moratorium or that. Here's how you need to assert your rights. Also, we have to sometimes negotiate with landlords, especially around rental assistance. And then when we can, we provide direct service and represent people uh, in court against evictions. But, but again, we're on the coast of Mississippi. You know, this is a statewide problem. It's a national problem. Um, and we have served now, and, and so it's been about a year, and we've served over 350 people in Mississippi. Yeah. So you talked about um, those illegal lockouts. I mean, some people might not know that's illegal or, you know, to turn uh, a tenant's uh, utilities off is illegal. How how much did that go up for you guys after after the pandemic? Well, I'm Molly, I'm always careful to say that we were already facing an eviction crisis in Mississippi. In our opinion, we already run into that issue with landlords that when they either don't want to take the time to get an eviction judgment, no, they can't get an eviction judgment, that they resort to that. But we we have seen a market increase. Uh, we know courts are more crowded. We don't have statewide data on the increase of evictions yet. But we know even now when, when courts have been ordered to socially distance, courtrooms are as packed as we've ever seen them. Uh, we've been at court where the courtroom was filled up, people filed out into the lobby, people were even outside the courthouse, and the constable would have to go and call the docket, you know, in three different places. And we've also been at court where we are the only ones using the CDC moratorium or saying that a moratorium applies to our client. Um, so while it applies to a lot of people, we, I don't believe that, it, that enough people that it would cover, that it's effectively covering them. Yeah, well, so that that kind of uh, brings me to my question a little bit. So you talk about actions that landlords are taking to kind of get around the eviction moratorium um, or just ignore it altogether. Is that really the biggest problem or the only problem? Or are there also issues with the actual laws or application or the, the courts themselves and how they're upholding it, in your opinion? Um, you know, are there are there any things that could be better about the the moratorium itself in its current state? Yes, I think there are some issues with the moratorium itself. While we're glad to have it and have its protections, um, and we think it is um, law that has continued to be upheld. There's only one case where it specifically wasn't applied, a Texas case, and that's been appealed. Um, we think it. It is good. It could be better. So I really think a problem is that the CDC moratorium is technical and it's not automatic. So anything that is technical that is not automatic when it comes to the law, it is going to breed some level of confusion. And so people, one, I think not enough people still know about the moratorium or they misunderstand the moratorium. And that applies to both tenants, landlords, attorneys, and judges. The other issue, I think, comes to rental assistance. So Congress has passed a lot of needed rental assistance, and that's good. 
but the initial rental assistance programs also had some bureaucracy and some technical issues that prevented um, for even over uh, months people that deserve needed rental assistance getting it. So these programs could be made, in my opinion, more streamlined, more holistic, more applicable to everyone's situation, more automatic, and that would solve the problem. Another uh, general issue I have, so we recognize how people are hurt from evictions, how the economy's hurt for evictions, how landlords are hurt. But we, I use the, the we, the United States, our policymakers, they chose to focus on how everything applies to the renter. So, so they said the moratorium, you know, applies to the renter, the CDC moratorium, a renter has to take steps to use it. Um, rental assistance initially and still for the most part uh, is a renter has to take steps to get it. And so why are we as a policy saying the people who are hurt the most, the people who can be made homeless. Now I know landlords hurt. I know uh, their businesses are impacted. Their lives are impacted, but they're not made initially homeless by this. But we said, we're going to put everything on these renters and that's where it's going to be the make or break point where we could very easily create these programs from the get-go to apply, be directed at landlords, say, look, landlords, you cannot evict anyone, but here's how you get money from the government. These trillions of dollars we've allocated out, some of that, why didn't we just put it directly to landlords? And now there are rental assistance programs now that allow landlords to get paid back money as well as forward money. But why is that so late in the game? Why is that still not the full focus? That's a real breakdown to me. And I think um, one of the CDC cases that was brought in Georgia in federal court uh, that was upheld, the CDC moratorium was upheld by the, the judge there really pointed that out and said, you know, when you're weighing these interests, sure, there's a pecuniary interest on the part of the landlord, but there is clearly a greater interest on behalf of the tenant who's going to be made homeless, whose family, and we know when people are made homeless, the terrible turns their lives often take. That when we're making all these policies, we're doing this work, why are we still holding those equal um, is really absurd to me. You mentioned that there were technical issues with rental assistance. I was pretty curious what, what you meant by that. Yes. Yeah, so in the first um, CARES, I believe it was CARES Act, the first stimulus by Congress, they distributed a lot of good rental assistance, a good amount of money to each state. And it's in a program, this emergency solutions grant program that already exists where organizations within the state that all have been doing this work to help people who are homeless or at risk of being made homeless, get in a new place or get rent to stay in their current residence. So they said, we're going to make special money to that. And they called it ESG CV. So emergency solutions grant money, COVID related. And they said, okay, if people are at risk of homelessness, you know, and it's related to COVID in some manner, apply this. And, and that was working at first. And then HUD, the U S department of housing and urban development promulgated an FAQ um, and everyone uh, I think there could be multiple actors to blame 
Um, not everyone's at the bottom of, of how this occurred, but essentially the prevailing thought that people started following that HUD started espousing was, hey, if we have a CDC moratorium that says you can't be evicted for non-payment of rent, then no one in theory should be at risk of being homeless. But anyone on the ground can tell you that's not true. Um, that people don't know to always exercise the CDC moratorium. It's not always applied the same. And so, so we really quickly realized people were falling through the cracks. And then there's a, there's a time, a temporal issue here with how long it takes to process someone's application, get with the landlord, process the landlord's side where, you know, they prove that they are the landlord or real business entity. And you're talking up, up to 21 days, maybe that it takes from when someone applies for rental assistance to when they get it. Meanwhile, evictions in states, many states, especially Mississippi, is so much faster than 21 days. If it took 21 days to get an eviction, uh, tenants wouldn't be as bad of a spot as they are. But in Mississippi, you can get a three-day notice. Then in three to five days, you're in court. And now in Mississippi, we think we've got the worst and fastest eviction laws in the country. You can be evicted immediately. That's what the statute says. So you can lose in court and then not go back home, not get your stuff. So you're talking this short, way less than 10-day window when you can actually be made homeless. Meanwhile, people are saying, well, you know, we, you don't need rental assistance. We're pausing rental assistance because everyone's covered by the CDC moratorium. And that's just not safe policy. Um, and it wasn't correct. So now the new most recent stimulus package gave more rental assistance money, but also opened up the ways you can qualify. So you don't have to just say, I'm at risk for homelessness or I am homeless, but you can fit into uh, income categories. There's a few other ways that you can actually qualify for it and it can pay back rent as well as forward rent. And that's, that's finally being now operationalized. But we're talking about late November, December, when we started to have this hiccup um, and then, you know, say March, it finally began to be fixed. So, so we had an issue that didn't have to be an issue that came up with it because things weren't more streamlined, weren't more clear, weren't more applicable. And I'm worried that's a, it's certainly a Mississippi ideological problem. I think it's a United States ideological problem that we're so obsessed with. Some people call it means testing, but this idea that someone who doesn't deserve the money might get it. You know, we're so afraid of the fraud that might occur. And that's bad. People shouldn't abuse programs. People shouldn't get money that, that don't need it. But the idea that we're so worried about that, that we're going to accidentally cut out all these people that are going to be irreparably harmed. Like we can't fix on the back end because they catch those people that rip off these programs. Um, that that's some obsession we have as a people that is just so misplaced and, and ends up, results in terrible injury and life-altering changes to people, and it doesn't have to. Um, you mentioned the uh, the eviction laws in Mississippi, like you, you think of them as the weakest in the country, and Mississippi Today recently reported that in Mississippi, if you were evicted, as soon as you were evicted in court, uh, your landlord can take possession of your uh, your stuff, basically. Can you talk about that? Maybe some other ways that the laws in Mississippi are especially kind of kind of weak when it comes to eviction? Yes. So I'm never going to say that Mississippi ever had the best 
uh, landlord tenant laws or the most equitable uh, landlord tenant laws. But but we had some somewhat decent ones. And then in 2019, actually, the Mississippi legislature amended them. And so whereas when you had a non-payment of rent situation, uh, landlords or excuse me, the judge would often give you 10 days to move out. If you lost in court, you owed a judgment. And within that time frame, if you could pay your landlord what you owed and you could pay him the court costs, the filing fee, 70 some odd dollars, you would get to stay. Now, these amendments say if you lose your eviction, the judge, the magistrate, the justice court judge, clerk should issue your warrant of removal immediately upon request of the landlord. So where you previously would have judges that are being instructed, hey, you know, set a date here for when the person has to move out, listen to their situation. Now it says, okay, as soon as the landlord wants them out, if he won, he gets them out. And the case, the Connor case, which is in northern Mississippi that Mississippi Today reported on, it's being challenged for constitutional due process issues. You know, they, and, and I agree, uh, it appears very much these amendments violate the Constitution that people, when they go to that hearing, they have to be prepared to, if they lose, they're going to lose everything. They can lose their stuff. They have no place to go. And we said when these come out, said, hey, that's violating due process. If when you go to a hearing, you have no recourse. You can appeal an eviction, but who can appeal it that same day? I, I can't as, as an attorney. If you catch me in the morning, you know, I've probably got too much on my plate to do that. So people are also being denied the ability to appeal. And ultimately what the Connor case really gets at is related to personal property. So those amendments also allow the landlord to seize all the property immediately. And that's what happened in the Connor case is the constable and the landlord uh, told the victim there, hey, you can't go back in. You can't get your clothes. You can't get um, your your medication, your kids clothes, nothing. You're done. All of this is ours. And the hearing is on the eviction, but the hearing is not about the property. So so you're being denied your property, your property is being taken without a hearing, and that's a violation of the Constitution. And so when, when those laws were enacted two years ago now, we spoke up, other groups spoke up and said, hey, it's unconstitutional. The state of Mississippi is going to have to spend money to defend it, and it's indefensible. Um, and so I fully expect in that case that the judge is going to declare those statutes unconstitutional. So here in Mississippi, like I said, we already had an eviction crisis. We already had issues with with evictions and now the pandemic has brought that into uh just made it so obvious so so i hate the pandemic i hate what's happening to people one i don't even want to say silver lining but people are recognizing oh my god the evictions are so messed up and and it's really brought that into people's consciousness now um so i hope it's something our legislature would just change i've testified to the legislature about how terrible these statutes are uh, but I think that Connor case may very well have them ruled unconstitutional. So, well, one of the things that we've mentioned here on, on Hard Reset before is the CDC moratorium and how so few people know about it and how so few people are able to take advantage of it. 
And like you mentioned, uh, these these moratoriums, these bans have, have come and gone. They've been extended now, uh, and the future is pretty uncertain. But I mean, it's gone so far. It's gone this full cycle now where it, it, it started and then it ended, and people still don't know about it. And you talked about how things could be more streamlined and how uh, the problems are really systemic. But it seems to me like after being in this situation for so long, and and again, you talk about how the problems predate the pandemic, what kind of changes can be made? I'm wondering where is the energy, like what what work is being done on this? If if we're still so deep, if we're so deep into this, a year into the pandemic even, and we're not able to navigate these systems, like what should be done? That's a good hard question. JC. So I think a lot of people believe the change in focus on rental assistance is where to go. And so I agree with that in part because eventually a moratorium is going to end and there's going to be this avalanche if everyone still owes money. So that's what we keep gearing up for. And, you know, we're, we're afraid of is that avalanche is coming. So we thought it was early last fall. Then we thought it was close to the end of the year. Then we thought it was a couple months ago. I thought it was going to be a few days ago. Now it's the end of June is when that avalanche is coming. So all these moratoriums, they're very specific to let the tenant know, hey, you're still going to owe rent when this thing ends. And the landlord can demand it immediately. So I do think rental assistance is important. So if everyone can get caught up, but there hasn't been as good as you can make a program. If I can make the the perfect program and not saying I'm can, but it's going to be worthless if there isn't a commitment and a groundswell around getting that word to the people. So I think if you really keep up with politics, keep up with Congress, you're going to know about these things. If you're a housing advocate like me, you're going to know about these things. But uh, if you're a tenant and plenty of people in Mississippi, I think across the country, there's still issues with broadband internet service that there's not this local attention. Um, and people don't know. And, and one thing we haven't done in Mississippi often is using the courts. Um, you know, why is no one there when tenants are coming to explain to tenants, whether or not the moratorium applies to them? I will say Mississippi's done a good job educating judges. Um, I've been really, thankful and honored to get to be a part of that. So I think more and more Mississippi judges know how these apply, but a judge is not going to go out of his way to tip the scales necessarily to a tenant when there's things the tenant has to do and swear to that the judge will not know to get a moratorium to apply. So again, you know, I'm kind of in favor of these blanket moratoriums and simple rental assistance. Uh, but that's all got, if, if the rental assistant doesn't get out, if there's not education outreach around the rental assistance, we're going to have millions of dollars unspent with people being evicted. And that's too long. That's been the Mississippi story is, Hey, we got money that could help people and either one, we misspent it. That happens. Um, or we fraudulently used it. That happens. But more often than not, it's, Hey, we didn't use it in time. Of course, Medicaid, uh, expansion. Is a big example where we're not willing to even take money. But already we saw at the end of 2020, Mississippi hadn't used money they had appropriated and had to reprogram some. And that's what I'm afraid at the end of this year. 
is that we're going to get all this money for this big need and we're never going to get it there to the people. And, and it's going to be reprogrammed or it's going to be given back to the federal government. Meanwhile, plenty of people's lives will be irreparably harmed. Families will be split up. Uh, children will be set back years because their family was evicted when there was money out there, when they shouldn't have been evicted because not enough people are making it an issue. Not enough people are getting the word out. I don't know how anything. I think the biggest things people should be worried about vaccines and making sure people aren't homeless. I mean, if those aren't the two, that's the health and safety of the country. And that's the idea of the CDC moratorium is eviction is a health and safety issue. You know, if that's not our main concern, then then we can't be surprised when so many people fall through the cracks. Yeah, that 100% makes sense, Will. So for people listening, you know, maybe in Mississippi or even in other states, what can people who aren't facing eviction do if they want to help get that word out? Do you know of any ways where people can kind of, is it, is it letter writing to tell your state lawmakers, you know, this is important to me as your constituent, and this is something that we need to put more effort into, you know, educating people about? Or what would you recommend for people that want to help out with these things? I do like the idea of, of pushing leaderships. Um, now, what's what's difficult is, so Congress passes this money. Each state gets it. Their legislatures or governors and legislatures are appropriating it. And they are deciding who, what agencies exist in their state that should distribute the money. What uh, agency firm exists that can do education outreach about it. So, so I do think, Legis state, local legislatures, that's where, where we've got to move um, to. And local politicians, local service groups. So I run a, um, I mentioned my work around the Fair Housing Act, uh, which includes private enforcement. So filing administrative complaints, filing lawsuits for victim of housing discrimination. But we also try and just do a bunch of education outreach events, tell people about their rights under the Fair Housing Act. And so we've adjusted that to say, hey, anytime we're going in a community, this is what we've got to be talking about. So so I know people turn to social media and say, hey, that's how you spread a message. Um, I think that can get to people. I think that's important. But I think our our hope in social media getting to the affected populations is a little misplaced. I mean, it really involves a lot of people talking in their communities uh, which is difficult in a time of a pandemic and social distance. You know, I recognize that. I mentioned all that education outreach. I've been doing that a bunch virtual. And so if people don't have access to Facebook Live or Zoom, they don't get it. But but I do think state leaderships, uh, your local leadership and politicians, those are the people that have to make a push uh, to push those agencies that have gotten the money that are supposed to be distributing, that they are reaching the affected populations. So again, I, I mentioned it's terrible uh, what has happened globally um, as well as locally, but, but at the very least people recognize what a social ill eviction is. And I think more and more recognize, hey, there's solutions to it. So, so I hope, you know, we build on the momentum and improve say eviction law in Mississippi, approve assistance for people that are going to face homelessness because, because we know those economic impacts are so hard and, and that they can be solved, I believe. Yeah. And then my, my other question, Will, would be, you know, on the direct level, we've talked 
a lot about these issues um, and about kind of the systems that are in place. And we've talked about how they're not automatic. So for someone listening to this that maybe is facing uh, imminent eviction and they want to know what options they have, uh, what are the next steps for them? Great. So, so there's two things. I mean, I keep, I guess I keep uh, mentioning this, but one is exercising your rights under the moratorium, making sure it applies to you. And the other is applying and getting rental assistance. So I'll mention real quickly with rental assistance, um, it varies by state by state, who you go to, how you get it. Now, the best database I've seen, uh, most useful tool is the National Low Income Housing Coalition's website that uh, there you can go to a map, figure out where you live, who you should contact to get rental assistance. So, so that's the first big one. The other one is actually executing the moratorium so that it applies to you. And a big part of all this is, I think, talking to your landlord. So that's a role sometimes we play, but always encourage people, hey, you've got to have direct communication with your landlord. Explain your circumstances. See if they will work with you. Uh, let them know what you are doing. And But to use the CDC moratorium to make sure it applies to you, first, it's only going to apply to evictions for non-payment of rent because of loss of household income, loss of wages, loss of job or work, or extraordinary medical cost. And there's a certain percentage of your income uh, that applies there. But so, again, you've got to be, that's the first thing, facing that eviction for non-payment of rent. Um, you also, and you have to fill out a declaration. Now, I'm going to explain what you swear to, but you got to fill that out and you got to get that to your landlord. That's the first step before you get to court. You need to do that. And that's also that communication where you're talking with your landlord. But in that declaration, and you can get that on the CDC's website, it has you swear, hey, I have, I can't pay my rent because I've lost income or I have extraordinary medical costs. And, and after I cover my non-discretionary, my food, my utilities, I don't have enough money to pay for rent. You also have to swear you've used your best efforts to obtain government assistance for rent or housing payments. So again, that goes to getting to that rental agency, uh, rental assistance agency locally to you. And then you've got to swear, you got to meet an income requirement. So if you're single, filing taxes single, uh, through 2020 to 2021, you couldn't have earned 99,000 in a year of your joint filing taxes, it's 198,000. Real easy uh, thing for most people is I say, hey, have you gotten a stimulus check? If you have, you're going to fit that requirement. Um, then you've got to swear that you're making your best efforts to make partial payments. And again, that goes back to that communication with your landlord. Try and get them to work out a payment plan with you. Um, and then the last big thing you have to swear to is that if you are evicted, you're going to either be made homeless or have to resort to a homeless shelter or move into a crowded living situation. And that goes back to this is the CDC moratorium they're about health and safety they don't want people in a pandemic being on the street or moving into crowded living environments so you got to swear to all those things for it to apply and you've got to sign that declaration give a copy to your landlord and when you go to court that's what you have to because the judge is going to ask you hey do you owe this rent money um and you say hey i believe 
although I might, I do owe this money. I believe the CDC moratorium applies to me. I think I've done everything to enact its protections. Thank you for listening. That's today's episode. Today's episode was hosted by Justin Sanders and Molly Bryant and me, JC Cortez. This episode was produced by me and Molly. Our theme is Oh No by Hartle Road. Hard Reset is available on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and rate us to help people find the show. Hard Reset is a podcast from BigIfTrue.org. We're nonpartisan and nonprofit. Support us at BigIfTrue.org support. Subscribe to our newsletter at BigIfTrue.org slash Hard Reset. 